Welcome to the Jigsaw 24 EdTech Podcast, the home of inspiring insights, quality conversations, and emerging trends in the education technology landscape. Each episode, we're bringing you trailblazers and changemakers from the education sphere who are changing the narrative on digital technology in the classroom. Whether you're an educator looking to enhance your classroom experience, or a curious mind eager to stay ahead in the tech-driven era, this podcast is your go-to source for inspiration and knowledge. Our goal is to demystify the barriers of education technology, making it accessible and actionable for everyone involved in the learning process. Hello, I'm Nikki Foote, and welcome to another exciting episode of our podcast. In this episode, we had the incredible opportunity to chat with Abdul Chohan, the Vice President at Shobi. Abdul shared some truly fascinating insights into how devices can be harnessed to revolutionise feedback and assessment in education. One highlight that particularly stood out to me was creating a dynamic feedback environment. When Abdul discusses the idea of creating an environment and learning whereby there is an ongoing dialogue, almost like a ping pong effect between the teacher and the student. I love how this method encourages students to respond to feedback, fostering a more interactive and engaging relationship. It transforms feedback from a one-way communication to a two-way conversation, enhancing student engagement and understanding. Abdul went on to emphasise the intersection of teachers' feedback and the forgetting curve, which for me is an absolute game changer in how we think about using digital tools to support timely and impactful learning interventions, effectively bridging the gap between instruction and retention. He underscored the critical nature of timely feedback in the learning process. As educators, we are constantly battling the forgetting curve. It's not just about remembering facts. It's about creating connections and reinforcing learning at the right moments. This insight and perspective offers a very fresh take on how we can use technology not just to educate, but to embed and deepen knowledge. This episode is an absolute must listen for anyone interested in the intersection of technology and education, especially if you're keen on topics like these. After listening, please share your thoughts with us and don't forget to rate and subscribe. Your input helps us continue delivering valuable insights from the world of education technology. Let's dive in. There's a significant difference between portable technology and mobile technology. So portable technology is stuff like MacBooks, laptops, and so on. Yeah. Right? Mobile technology is like your phones and even iPads and so on, where you people move around with it and so on. The speed at which technology is changing for the mobile industry is far faster than it is for the portable industry. And what I've been saying to school leaders is that your investment in that mobile element is really essential. Because there are things that you could do with mobile technology that doesn't touch portable technology. Tell me so, more about the differences between those. So things, for example, like um, like AR, augmented reality, yeah. right? The fact that you can just uh, scan a document and upload photocopying annotation and all that kind of stuff. Like schools that have invested in mobile technology and reporting 75% reduction in printed photocopying and so on. Yeah. Right. I went to a school, two schools, um, I won't mention the names, two schools on the same road that are competitors, 
Yeah. Right? Uh, international schools. One had invested in laptops and pretty expensive laptops as well. The other one had invested in iPads and mobile technology and so on. And I ended up having meetings, strategic planning meetings with both schools. Um, but like the ones I had invested in the more expensive portable devices, they could not, for example, do simple things that when kids write in books and you want to scan that and upload it for the teachers to mark and get feedback and so on, they couldn't do it because it was laptop tech devices, there were cameras on the back, not easy to turn around, so on. Yeah, and then also schools with those uh, portable devices often have barriers, which is no mobile phones. Students can't then take a photo of their yeah. work. You're yeah. creating another roadblock. Exactly, right? So, and the thing is, is that one of the biggest challenges in education has always been, and still to this day remains, around consistency. If you speak to a school leader, Getting consistency across a school is very difficult. You have so many different variables, so many different teachers, change of teachers, also different things that affect that. And getting consistency is quite hard. One of the routes to kind of building consistently good kind of um, learning experiences is when your policies are rooted in practical stuff, right? And if you can change your policy and you're able to say, actually, this is the way in which we want to be able to do things, this is what, are you, do you mean this is what learning looks like? Yeah, this is what learning looks like, but yeah. even operational stuff, right? Yeah. Like Policies quite often say this is how we should do things. Policies should also say this is how we don't need to do things anymore, right? Yes. You know, like we're not doing this anymore because now we've got tools and technology that allow and save you time. Like marking policies. Exactly, right? So that consistency is built around the infrastructure that you've designed and put in. And this is what I mean by portable and mobile. These two are very different things. It's not spoken about a lot, but it is experienced a lot when you visit schools that have invested in portable compared to a mobile type um, environments. And that there's a significant difference. It must be fascinating for you going around and seeing, I mean, I know it is for us going around and seeing so many different schools, so many different ways of doing things. And it's hard not to, to make judgments on that. You must see so many different experiences. I think when you travel, one thing is knowledge and the application of knowledge is wisdom. When you travel and you speak to people, the more people that you speak to and the more experienced they have, the more kids you speak to and so on, it kind of builds that wisdom up. And I don't think that wisdom is something that you just get from books or being in one place. And, you know, you kind of build up a picture of education and learning and what does that look like, you know. And it looks so different in so many different places. And yes. it's fascinating when you look at the growth of ed tech in um, the States, for instance, which has a, a massively different model of education to us. But the ed tech has driven so much further than we have going on here. And then you look at Malaysia, very much more controlled by the government who decide they want something and then will buy it in for the entire country. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So a lot of these models are kind of really quite quite interesting. The Nordics is very similar. So when I started visiting the Nordics, for example, um, like it was quite normal for the kids to have a device. Like that never made the news, it was not, big fuss about it but yeah I mean that's kind of really interesting but more and more I'm kind of seeing governments making decision around investment technology I think some of that is predicated on the fact that it's turning out to be cheaper yeah 
right? So this is fascinating. If you take an iPad and you charge it every day, yeah, for the whole year, yeah, right. The total cost of that charging is something like five pounds sixty-four pence. The same schools have got computer rooms, laptop trolleys, iPad trolleys, right? Screens, interactive whiteboards, stuff that's just kind of running. Servers, infrastructure, all that kind of stuff. It's like weekends when nobody's using it. And stuff has to be charged and powered on and some stuff you can't switch off and so on. Just that energy bill. And certainly for UK, I'm the chair of a trust. Um, and you know our monthly utility bills are something like two thousand pounds, and over the last two years they've got to ten thousand pounds on one. That's incredible, right? That's pretty significant. And then work that over two years, three years, four years, five years. What does that look like? My point I was trying to make earlier on is that a lot of governments are kind of figuring out that these devices, especially mobile, like my iPad, the last three years, four years, no problem, right? Get the updates and all of that. It's actually a lot cheaper. Yeah. Um, so there's this kind of shift that I'm kind of seeing that's eventually happening around that mobile kind of environment, the one-to-one -one environment, which is the bit that I kind of advocate for quite a lot, the idea of a one-to-one -one mobile environment. Uh, and I'm, we're seeing that. We're seeing that happen in lots of schools. Like if you asked me 10, 15 years ago when I was kind of traveling to places like India, places in Africa and so on, the idea of a one-to-one -one thing was not really a thing. It was just for the kind of very affluent schools. Yeah. Now, I can actually take you to village schools that have a one-to-one -one program with iPad for their kids. Like the classrooms ain't all that and so on, but they'll spend money on that because everyone will tell you that there's a parental program that teaches parents how to use the devices and learning and typing and all that reading and all that kind of stuff. They can continue to use it on the weekends. They're getting more, uh, more um, from their money that they've spent, the, the little money that they have. They get the most out of it. Can I just um, wind back very slightly? Because obviously we've talked a lot about the travel and the the bits of wisdom that you're picking up along the way. Um, perhaps we should clarify what role it is you have now. Yeah. Because um, obviously you're not doing that as CEO of yeah. the, the school in Bolton. And along those travels in that role, what are those kind of key bits of wisdom that you think really? Um, indicate success, put you on the right path to success. Yeah, yeah. So my uh, role when I left uh, kind of being the acting CEO was kind of, I was director of my own kind of company, Think Simple, and I was kind of doing a lot of stuff around that. Um, COVID, um, I joined Shobi, which we'll, we'll chat about later on, kind of the, the VP of learning for Shobi. And to your point, one of the things I started to do more recently in terms of kind of condensing all that travel and thinking, was to think about um, what are the things that are the same for any educator? This kind of um, really made me think. So whether it's a classroom that I went to where it's £20,000 a year per child to, for your child to go there, or whether it was a night school that I attended in Mumbai under a railway station for street kids, I was kind of looking for those similarities, like, what is it that all teachers are actually doing? And it kind of came down to these four things. And, and this is where, you know, my recent work at Shobi as VP of Learning around the DNA of Learning, it kind of condenses into that. So what I saw was kind of like four key pillars. I'm not saying it's all of education because education is complicated. 
But essentially, as educators, if you just pull out the education aspect, the four aspects, we're not rocket science. I kind of saw direct instruction, you know, teachers explaining concepts and ideas. Yeah. Independent practice, that was the other pillar. Yeah. Kids showing that I've understood something. Okay, come on, have a go, right? Feedback. And then you saw feedback. Yeah. Yes, well done, that's really good. You've understood this, you've not understood this, so on. That was happening. And then you saw a degree of assessment. Have they actually got it? Are there misconceptions? You know, did, and, and correcting that and so on. So for me, these four pillars are kind of still the fundamental of a good learning experience. And there's a whole bunch of research, whether you look at Dylan Williams' work, whether you look at John Hattie's work, whether you look, go back and look at Evie House's work, around how humans learn. Like, it's really well documented. The stuff's there. What technology is allowing us to do is to amplify that, but to be able to do it with less effort or actually quicker and faster and so on, which is what technology is really good at. But essentially, these four pillars are really quite key. And what I'm saying to school leaders, you're asking questions about devices and technology and so on. My question to you is, when it comes to these four pillars, what is your policy and approach around that? And how are you going to get the technology to fit these four pillars that literally are being practiced by every teacher in every classroom? And, and my mission, my mission, I, I, I kind of use this term here, yeah, that good schools are consistent, outstanding schools are consistently good, and I'm not making often reference, I use this universally. So what does consistently good mean? And for me, that's very much about supporting schools and education systems to make sure that any child can walk into any classroom with any teacher on any day of the week and they will never get a learning experience that's less than good. As simple as that may seem, I think that it's a big, big challenge. It's massive. It's a big challenge because of all the different variables. And you know what? The single biggest thing that we need to change is mindset. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Like, if you change that mindset, I used to say, I've said this many times before, if you change that belief, then the behaviour will change. How do you um, navigate resistance to that kind of change? Yeah. Essentially, as an educator, and it comes back down to those four pillars of the DNA of learning that I was talking about, right? Educators are interested in that. I want to do direct instruction. I want to teach a concept. If you can show me tools that allow me to do that in an easier way, then hey, you know, like, I'm interested. Because guess what? He's going to save me time. Yeah, time. Yeah? yeah. So like, for me, when I'm speaking to educators, I always feel that there's one question in their mind. And that one question is, what's in it for me? Is it going to make my life easier? So, you know, at Shobi, we, we've kind of put this uh, approach together that we call Shobi Complete. It supports the delivery of the DNA of learning. Right? Direct instruction, assessment, feedback, um, independent practice, right? So, for example, direct instruction, like, I always find this fascinating, right? So, in the UK, typically, in a, in a school that's financially quite stable, 75 to 80% of a school's budget, annual budget, goes on teachers, right? So, most of the budget is going on teachers, and rightly so, because that's your biggest resource. Okay. Research tells us that when humans learn, Within 72 hours, most of the stuff that you're learning will be forgotten. Yeah. <laughs> so we're spending 80% of our budget 
<laughs> on a process that research is telling us most of the stuff's going to be forgotten. <laughs> Ridiculous. Yeah. Like, which yeah. business would do that? Hey, they spend 80% of your budget on something that you know is going to be gone in two or three days. So one of the things that we've done at Shobi, um, as part of Shobi Complete, is we train teachers. And, and that's what I love about the direction of where Shobi's going, right? It's not just, hey, here's Shobi, off you go, guys, and so on. What I love about kind of doing the work that I'm doing at the moment is um, we then go in and we're kind of showing the teachers the research and how to use the, the tools effectively. So now what we're showing teachers is for a fraction of the cost of interactive whiteboards and all that kind of expensive stuff, using an iPad, Apple TV, and so on, and we show me complete, what you can do is, when the teacher's explaining a concept and an idea, direct instruction, you're writing on the board, writing on their iPad, it's appearing on the screen, they can now record it. So that gold dust, that 80% investment, is now captured, and it's the teacher's voice, and it's still that human connection. Yeah. And I'm asking the question, the children have replied, but I've captured it. It's not capturing me, me uh, my video, it's not capturing my face, but my screen strokes and recording and audio and all of that's been kind of captured. I can then share that with the children immediately, two taps and it's there, simple, easy, anybody can do it. You don't have to be a rocket scientist to kind of figure it out. But conceptually, the children are walking out of the room, and my explanation, the 80% investment, the gold dust, they can watch that as many times as they want. You know, parents want to watch it, they can, and they're in better position to support their children. And then with some of the organizations that we're working with, you know, like there's a massive shortage of physics teachers, for example. So if you've got one physics teacher across 40 schools, hey, that teacher can record that resource, it's come from an expert, we can send that over, actually other teachers can use it, kids can use it and so on. And I think, and we've done a similar thing at Shobi for assessment and for feedback and all that kind of stuff and so on. But I think that's how we get teachers on board. Like the fundamentals of what you're doing in the classroom. Because I've never been to a school where a, a head teacher has said, nah, we don't really believe in feedback. Right? Yeah. Nah, we don't do assessment here kind of thing. Right? You know. Um, and then, you know, once that foundation is built in, then guess what? Augmented reality can feed in because you can do some amazing stuff like that. Guess what? Then you can build in AI and all that kind of stuff because it's supporting that fundamental stuff that you're doing and so on. You know? uh, and I think the opportunities to kind of impact all of that stuff and build that up can, can really happen. What is good feedback? Okay, so um, in an environment where you don't have a one-to-one -one technology kind of thing, then the only way you can give verbal feedback is in the classroom and face-to-face with the children. What we've looked at with Shobi is the ability to give verbal feedback even when the kids are not there. What we're seeing now and what we're working with schools on is just because you're needing a voice note doesn't mean that's going to be good quality feedback. Like what, getting schools to understand what is good quality feedback. So next steps, even better ifs, and so on. And one of the things that you can do with Shobi is to leave emojis. So like we've got a school that's built a policy on emojis. Yeah. So if they see footprints, that means it's next steps and kids see it. But one of the things that the EEF also talks about is feedback is not just the teacher giving feedback, the students have to respond. Yeah, so what I love about Shobi is that layered approach to feedback. Mm. You have a piece of writing and it might be that the student has written analog physical writing piece. They've taken a photo of it and put it into Shobi. But then when you go in and see that feedback, you see the different colors of feedback. You might see audio messages. Yeah. 
and they're communicating at different yeah. times and responding between each. It's a ping pong effect. Absolutely, absolutely. And the thing is, there's two things. And the EEF stuff really makes reference to this, which I found really quite fascinating. I think EEF's amazing. Yeah, me too. I'm massive now. But one of the things that they talked about was the appropriate timeliness of the feedback. Oh, talk right? to me about that. So that's kind of really fascinating in some ways because remember we talked about like the forgetting, like how humans yeah. learn. So if I'm giving feedback three days later, Yes. Most of the I'm giving feedback to <laughs> stuff that they've forgotten. Yeah. Sometimes that can't be helped if because that's how I see the classes, how we give mark all the books, the workload stuff, and so on. So what Shobi's allowing our uh, schools to be able to do is actually because I can give verbal feedback, and if I speak for five seconds, that's like half a page of writing. So the speed at which I can give feedback and the appropriateness of that timing is far faster. The turnaround time is a lot faster. And the children can respond faster as well. What I also love about um, leaving an audio message, that oral feedback, is that you you connect the students in such a personalised way. Credit to John Hattie for this. He used this term when I did the podcast with him. He said, Abdul, this allows us to hear the thinking. Yeah. As educators, that's something that we've been trying to do for such a long time. And it's it's translated into show me you're working out. And even then, we're trying to figure out what's the working out here and so on. Now, we can say, okay, you've solved the problem. Can you just leave a voice note and explain to me how you did it? Yeah, I love that. So the cognitive demand for that activity is so much more than, you know, just being kind of showing the working out and so on. So I think that for me, that humanistic connection is really powerful. It's also... um. What I love about it is it's those students, you're enabling those students, you're supporting them, you're, you're giving them opportunities to see how brilliant they are. Yeah. There's a story, a little girl, um, they're using iPads, Shobi and stuff in that school, um, and primary school, and um, she went home. Mum and dad don't speak English. Okay. Um, but she noticed in her class that the children, the other children were speaking about how they read bedtime stories to mom and dad. And this girl, seven years old or something, right? Um, the, the teacher is telling me this. So I'm, I, I got this story first time from the teacher. The teacher said, I woke up in the morning. There's a voice note on my iPad, right? From this child. So I played it. And basically, the, the completely off her own back, she said, my mum and dad don't speak English, so I'm going to do my bedtime story to you, miss. And she's reading her bedtime story to the teacher at night. Flash. Right? Yes. And, you know, she's reading and she's adding all her voices and all that kind of stuff and so on. How powerful is that for that teacher? Yeah. To see that student in a different light, you see them get that confidence, that intonation that you, you wouldn't pick up in a classroom. There's also a connection there as yeah. well, though, isn't there? That, that trust. That that trust and that child has independently realised that she can communicate with the teacher, even though the teacher's not in the room with her, yeah. um, and develop her confidence and just... Yeah. And, and I asked the teacher, you know, you've got a voice message at like, you know, like eight o'clock in the evening, right, when the child went to sleep, is that okay? She goes, well, no, she goes, it's... I picked it the next day, right? So that's the other thing about mobile technology and technology in general, right? It gives the freedom for the children to do something that is in the moment that works for them, but there's no pressure on the teacher to be able to respond immediately or anything like that. Like they can pick it up when they want, yeah. right? And she just said she was... Um, so, so now that school has adopted this approach that like came from that girl, 
Um, I can't remember the girl's name, but it, they've named that whole reading program after that girl. That's amazing. Used by over 3 million educators worldwide, Shobi is the hybrid learning platform that empowers you to manage your classroom workflow and deliver personalised feedback and assessment to students wherever learning happens. Designed with Apple in mind, Shobi harnesses the DNA of learning to unlock your pupil's full potential. Find out how Shobi can transform your classroom at jigsaw24.com education. We find that a lot of schools are quite reluctant to allow technology home. This is a powerful story for the reason why you should. Mm. Why should those schools be less wary of that? Where schools are doing this as a one-to-one strategic deployment of devices, what sometimes parents don't know is that the degree of control over that school device is far more than what they've experienced on their devices at home. So, for example, a school can say, 7 o'clock, all the apps will be off, the device will be off, there's no connection, nothing, and literally, your device can just be an alarm clock and you can't get onto anything, right? And the fact that you we now have the ability to be able to control all of that is pretty, is pretty powerful. Um, so I think there's, there's, there's work to be done with parents. And, and to be honest with you, every parent that I've session that I've done, at the end of that, you know, it's always been parents have kind of said, okay, that makes sense. You answered that question, you kind of looked at. And quite often we've done parent, we've put on like, you know, like hands-on parent sessions. So we'll, we'll get 10 parents with devices. We'll tell some of the parents, go on whatever app you want and, you know, try and get onto social media and do this and that and so on. And then we show them the degree of control that the teacher can have. So in fact, you know, Apple... Um, Apple Classroom, for example, built into iPads, right? You, you can see which apps shoot on, you can see their screens, you can lock the iPad, you can, you know, make it so that the teachers can say, well, actually, I don't want you to be using iPads now, I'll lock the whole thing and I want you to listen to me and so on. Um, and some of these kinds of tools that exist for educational parents are just not aware of, you know. So there's a bit of education that kind of needs to happen around that. Yeah, I love the um, teaching parents as they are, as if they are the students. Yeah. Because parents have really a model of education in their head of really what they went to school with. You know, it hasn't moved on. They don't know the changes and what, the, what we're doing and why we're doing it and why that is, is different now. What um, often the, the reluctance starts with the school, mm. that they go, oh, we've got all these devices, we want, but we're keeping them in school. We're not going to allow them home. And when you question why... It's a different conversation and it's less about that screen time. Um, what conversation would you have with the, the school leaders about that? A lot of the conversations that I'm having with school leaders starts, and, and my conversation starts from a pedagogical perspective. So we talk about the DNA of learning, we talk about the fundamentals of how teaching and learning happen with direct instruction, independent assessment, feedback. Okay, if we then take the premise that this is really essential, we're now saying, and, and this is then deployed as part of their learning strategy. Okay. Then what we're saying is that technology now has the ability to expand time because the children can access this because your foundation is on these four key areas. They can access that at home. So the question is, why are you limiting the learning? Surely the part of the whole kind of investment is that after three o'clock, the learning can continue. So that allows you to expand time. 
So your learning time is no longer... I love the expanding time. Yeah, it, it's, it's no longer like, hey, I've got a 50-minute science lesson now. Actually, the kids have been working on something and they've still got access to that teacher explanation, the teachers, children can respond back and so on. So it's a question of return on investment on your money. You've made this, you've kind of done this program. What does that look like for you? I think sometimes with leadership teams, if the digital strategy is not focused around like the DNA of learning, and it's just like, we were, we had worksheets before and it's just the same worksheets that are now made available to the kids and they're just gonna be doing the same thing. That understanding isn't there of what they're gonna get out of this at home. Why would you send 15 questions for the students to do at home when there's no expert at home and they're stuck on question three and they're asking the parents and the parents are like, oh, I don't know how to do this kind of thing. And you get all that, you know, Agro at home as Agro, parents. Agro, so so much pressure, pressure on families. Messes up relationships between kids and parents. Absolutely. Why would you do that? Well, when the research thing is actually be better off, that teacher explanation, send that, and then give them the questions. At least they've got the teacher explanation, the parents can see it, the language must be used, the methodology, right? And then they can use that to kind of support. And the parent is there and they've understood how the teacher's been able to do that. So you've got real support in terms of what's happening. This comes down to why I talk, when I talk about translation and transformation. Some schools will go down the one-to-one -one technology route, but all they're doing is translation. We had worksheets, we had this, we had this. It's exactly the same thing, but on screen, even on show me and so on. And there's nothing much more than that. Whereas transformation is more of that humanistic approach. Okay, let's you know, make that video available. Let's kind of get children to record their voice and explanations and so on, submit that back. And so it's more of a humanistic approach. Watch someone doing a FaceTime call. Watch their expressions, watch their face. They're connecting as humans and so, but they're using technology, right? Um, that's very different to, hey, here's a worksheet, I've scanned it, I've uploaded it. Yeah, you get some benefits out of it. But it's still very translational. One of the things about Showbiz is that it does allow parents to be part of the conversation of learning with the child. Part of the conversation, but also not having the responsibility. Mm. What I find as a parent is that kids come home and it's now your responsibility to teach them to do these um, activities and tasks. It's huge and it's not our responsibility. Our yeah. children need to take hold, hold of that, really. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think, I think you're absolutely right. And when we do those parent sessions and when I when I talk about this, uh, I'll tell you a story. School in India, right? Uh, leadership team, uh, they got me over, they were interested in doing this whole kind of digital transformation and so on. And it was a fee-paying school, so parents are customers and you know, they want to make sure that, that is, it's going to work out well for them as well and so on. Um, and you know, they said, let's just do it with year seven first and then the year after we'll roll it out and then we just need to measure how it's going to go and so on. So I sneakily said to the principal and the leadership team, that's fine, we'll do the parent session. We'll just do it with year seven. Um, but let's get all the parents in so that we can share the vision with them and so on. So they agreed to that. Now, I knew I was doing this sneakily because when I got on stage, I showed them how direct instruction could be recorded and made available to parents. And you knew it was a game changer. The first question, when I said questions, parents said, why are you only doing this with year seven? <laughs> My child, I've got a child in year eight and year nine, I'm paying the same fees before you knew it. 
It was a whole school program. Just based on that one thing, we didn't even touch assessment and feedback and all the other stuff. Because the parents said, I want that to happen with my child. And, they were, and the, buying, the buying was just from that one thing, that show. It's fascinating that actually if you unpick uh, the conversation, the, the direction we've just taken, that what we're coming to is this use of ed tech in schools and the, the big deployments. It's not about a device. Mm. Actually, the success of that project goes back to, we often talk about, well, what's your why? But strategically, schools skim over that and go straight to device. And actually, it's kind of, our roles to go, hang on, wait, let's go back to your why. Mm. Let's unpick what benefits you're going to get from that. And then the device chooses itself yeah. from that. Yeah. And it's that visioning and that that idea of what you want, what benefits you want from those for those yeah. students. Yeah. Yeah. And those parents very clearly saw the benefit in that Absolutely. and wanted that for their students. And what's the what's kind of in your experience, what's the key to getting schools to understand that part yeah i think um there's a few things right um it comes back down to uh, i said it like i said earlier that, that that mindset change from leadership team to be able to kind of think actually you know what this makes a lot more sense than what we do right now that belief is really quite key but then getting them to understand and this is i see this i, I was talking to a ceo yesterday and you were talking about digital strategy blah 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 the conversation started with this device, that device, this platform, that platform, and so on. And I see it as a personal mission to change that conversation around into, so what's assessment going to look like then? What's feedback going to look like? What's diary instruction going to look like? I've been to schools, walked around, they've had devices and so on. Guess what? Assessment is still the same as it was when the devices went there. If you're not, if you're making such a big investment and you're not affecting the fundamentals of what happens in your all your classrooms every day, like the fundamental stuff with learning, then you have to really question whether it's been a success or not. Okay, so like uh, Dylan really talks about this minute by minute assessment, right? Um, as teachers, you know, classroom, we're always physically asking questions, right? Does everybody understand that? What do you think about this? What do you think about Egypt? What do you think about this? And so on, right? And you're getting kids to kind of respond, and that it's happening minute by minute. One of the things he says, the ability to do that really well um, really impacts the quality of that learning experience for you to be able to pick up on misconceptions and so on. And without technology, we've been kind of doing this with many whiteboards, thumbs up, thumbs down, red card, green card, all that kind of stuff and so on. But in a one-to-one -one technology environment, you can get every child to respond back immediately. And the tech will tell you how, much, how many people have understood, how many people have not understood. Not for you to kind of, you know, pull off Excel sheets and stuff like that. But it's just like a dashboard that's just kind of... A decision-making system. Yeah, they tell you. As a teacher, are you going to go down that route left or, that? or right? Exactly that, right? Yeah. I think I've taught something really well. Actually, Am I going to do a U-turn? Yeah. The data is just showing me I've asked a question, only 40% of the kids have got it, right? So yeah. that should affect me. That's really powerful stuff, right? So again, you know, actually that's kind of part of the training and support that we've kind of built in with schools and so on. But here's the thing. There's authenticity with that data, right? Because every child is able to do that. Sometimes thumbs up, thumbs down. You know, I've heard it from teachers. Yeah, 
the kids know that kid usually gets it right. He's put thumbs up, so we're all doing thumbs up kind of thing, right? Whereas with this, I'm tapping on something, it's anonymous, it's anonymized, and I can kind of just see what's what and so on. And I can see everybody's responding. The days of, does everybody get it? And a few heads go like this, so we move on. Like, that is kind of poor uh, formative assessment uh, technique. Whereas with this, you can kind of transform that. That's the kind of stuff that needs to be affected for every cluster, with every child, every day. You know, that's the practice that kind of needs to change fundamentally when we're putting in um, devices and technology. That's the thing that needs to be in the strategy and so on. Uh, and what I find quite often, CEOs, senior leaders, they spend like 80% of their time um, just thinking about devices and the operations. That's important. You know, I'm not saying that we shouldn't be considering Wi-Fi infrastructure, devices, go home policies, bring kids, all that kind of stuff. That's all really important. But really, the reason why you're doing it, coming back to tell you what you say about why, is to actually impact that. So where's that stuff? You know, and that's where the conversation needs to start and then work backwards to make sure that everything's in place to make it happen. Amazing. So we've potentially worked with um, a school. We've gone back, we've got the why. We've got really strong pedagogy. We've looked very carefully at the DNA. Everyone's on board, senior leadership, great. We've chosen our device. The devices are now in the hands of the students and the teachers. What's happening now to make this a success? What's that part that really um, is often, what, what's that part that's missing? So, so this is the bit that I get excited about. And really that's when, uh, what I love about Shobi is they allow me to kind of go in and kind of work with schools um, to, to really look at that part. So what we then do, is we're looking at fundamentally, um, you know, teachers and working with them, like the, the best practitioners that understand pedagogy, not technology. We don't want people that are like geeks and nerds. We want people that understand what good learning looks like. And what we're saying to them, okay, we will work with five or six of your teachers, for example, depending on the size of the trust in school. Um, we can call them a teaching and learning group, call them whatever you want. Um, and what we're looking at is that practice, what does that pedagogy look like? And then the idea is, like these people are going to be like, it's like a train the trainer model, right? They then form some groups, they support other teachers and so on. They then begin to influence policy. Like if this is now what we're doing is better than what we were doing before, our policies need to change. Where is the opportunity for that? And then the focus is on building consistency. What does that look like in one school? If you're a trust, what does that look like across the trust? And so, you know, and then that is where the kind of, the challenge begins, right? Because it's that consistency piece. Because you have people that can do this. And you know, um, when we've worked together, um, you know, Jigsaw, Shobi, we've been able to kind of, that's the planning that needs to be put into place, right? What does that practice actually look like in the classroom? And then how do we build that strategy to make sure that that's gonna happen across the board? Because it affects induction, new teachers coming up board. It affects um, how we develop and work with our teaching assistants. Um, what does that look like for SEND kids and the opportunities that iPad brings in terms of accessibility for SEND and to be still, you know, be able to kind of work with that DNA of learning thing, you know? Where are the opportunities to save money and processes, photocopy, printing, all that kind of stuff, you know? Um, what do we not need to do anymore? So there's lots of questions that then come out of that that then begin to change you know, what we do on a day-to-day basis. And this is where, I know it sounds cliche to talk about, you know, this kind of project as a journey, 
but that's exactly what it is because it's not the device is going to the classroom, that's it, everybody job done. But to consider (coughs) that investment for, um, for staff and making sure they have the right training, the right support, the right guidance, that's a huge investment. The investment isn't just about buying devices, the investment is in the time and the resources to support those staff to get that biggest impact, to be able to implement direct instruction with their devices. That's where the success comes, right? Absolutely, absolutely. It's that kind of buying. I mean, you know, it's, it's a powerful thing for an organisation to invest um, in this kind of technology with their teachers, right? That investment is hugely powerful. And not just because uh, the physicality of giving a, a, a really great device that has lots of different things, but also mobile devices, they get updates incrementally, right? So every few months, there's a new update happens and now you can do a few more things. That has a direct impact on the organization because when that changes, guess what? Teachers realize, oh, I could do this now that I couldn't do before. So I begin to develop and grow with it. Where you find that organizations haven't made that kind of investment, those increments add up until it becomes a massive chasm. And then when the organization does want to change, there's like a big gap, which the teachers just kind of, you know, have to get retrained, everything has to be looked at and so on. So that investment in teachers allows them to kind of incrementally develop as well. And I think that's really quite powerful. I think one of the things that has changed, and I'm kind of seeing this now more and more, is at one time it was just the iPad that was given to teachers and students. And now, you know, iPad has got the, the keyboard and the trackpad, so you can use a mouse thing with it. The stylus is becoming quite important. You know, the idea of just writing with your finger, like, yeah, we're not doing that anymore. We can, you know, there's lots of applications that allow you to annotate, write, and so on. So we kind of see that happen as part of that kind of package and um, in terms of what's being invested in with schools in a one-to-one basis, which is really kind of quite powerful. Um, but yeah, I think fundamentally, um, when schools begin to kind of experience this on a day-to-day basis and it becomes kind of normal, the novelty wears off. That's it's at that point that teachers then realise that it's going to be very difficult for us to go back, you know, when we didn't have access to this because the speed at which they can do things is far faster, the efficiencies are far greater, you know, and actually um, the ability to kind of um, kind of look at learning, to kind of pick up on misconceptions, the way you do marking and feedback, it changes everything. Yeah, it changes the playing field. Completely. Yeah. So, for our listeners, what's the one takeaway from this episode? Oh, I would say that the main takeaway is focus on the pedagogy rather than the technology. Although the technology is quite fundamental, you've got to get that right. But essentially, if your digital strategy has been successful, you will see a much more efficient approach to the fundamentals of direct instruction, independent practice, assessment and feedback, you know. Um, and I think that is really where the conversations need to start. Amazing. Um, following this episode, if anyone wanted to contact you, how could they do that? Oh, you could get in touch with me on abdul at showby.com and I'm on Twitter as well, at Abdul Choman and LinkedIn, type in Abdul Choman, what the URL is. Uh, but yeah, feel free to get in touch with me. Amazing. Amazing. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time. It's been such a fun.
This podcast was brought to you by Apple Authorised Education Specialist Jigsaw24, a UK-based IT solutions and technology provider for education. From cutting-edge technology solutions with a focus on Apple-based learning, to training and professional development opportunities, as well as management and maintenance services and support, our qualified team of experts are here to ensure you and your staff can focus on delivering quality teaching in the classroom. Remember to rate, subscribe and join us again next time on the Jigsaw 24 EdTech Podcast.